Hey, running nerds, it's Kyle Merber. And if you're listening to this podcast, then there's a high likelihood that you love track and field. In that case, I encourage you to subscribe to the Lap Count newsletter. It's my newsletter, helping fans stay up to date with all the thrilling action and biggest stories in the world of track and field, delivered right to your inbox every Wednesday morning. It's free. It takes less than a minute to sign up at thelapcount.com, and I think you'll enjoy it. Here's this week's newsletter read by Chris Chavez. Before we get into it, this week's newsletter is brought to you by New Balance. The results from last week's survey of the lap count readers are in and being frantically whipped up into a pitch deck. There were some interesting takeaways. First off, apparently, many of you are doing quite well for yourselves despite the majority of you being under the age of 35. I can only assume that as a reader, you're ridiculously good looking too. Another consistent thread among all of you is a deep love for New Balance shoes. And that's good news since they're a regular sponsor of the content here. I'm not taking all of the credit, but 95% of subscribers say that they recognize what brand sponsored the newsletter each week. And when I rolled up to the group run this weekend in a pair of all-white New Balance Fresh Foam 1080 13s, my friends took notice. Hey, you don't make it to the 13th version of a shoe without it being special, just like you, my dear high-earning young hot readers. Visit newbalance.com running to get yourself a pair of the Fresh Foam 1080s. Lap 141, college. Here comes Caitlin Tui. She's going to come through and be the individual champ for the 2022 Cross Country Championships. She's got the low stick. Will her team follow? Valby's going to come through just behind in second. A great run for her. And now we've got Camille for MC State. So that's uh, that's 1-2 as Kyle will count them up for you. That's 1-2 as she comes through. And here comes Stern. Here are the top storylines of the 2023 NCAA cross country meet. All right, running nerds. I was worried that that intro was a little too flattering, so I'm back to calling you nerds. I am in the booth for ESPN at the NCAA cross country championships this Saturday, November 18th in Charlottesville, Virginia. Coverage begins at 9:30 a.m. Eastern time, and my goal coming in is to be able to read the YouTube comments afterwards and not completely hate myself. There are 62 teams competing and 510 individuals competing. And if you graduated from college at any point prior to the pandemic, then you're probably a bit out of touch with just about all of them. With that in mind, let's try and simplify things and give you the major storylines to enjoy during the broadcast. As more guys come in, now it's Oklahoma State that's come through by a bunch as they reconnoiter the numbers here and redo some of the arithmetic and the math. And Oklahoma State now with a comfortable margin. I mean, can so what, you imagine? So what was close, here's Murph coming across for Arkansas. There's an Oregon duck under new management, right, with Jerry Schumacher running uh, that program for the first time. There's another Tennessee volunteer. But how much fun, Kyle, to win on your home course if that is what the case is. But right now we're looking at this score and it's going back and forth and back and forth. What a day. So this is not like high school. We do not go to the six-man here again. The tiebreaker is we compare man versus man in the top five. Number one, the dynasty. The Northern Arizona men will be running for their seventh national title in eight years. They returned their top four and have had no shortage of talent entering the program at all times, so you'd expect that they'd be the heavy favorites. But that presumption would only discount how insanely well the two heroes of the day had to run in order to make last year's title happen. 
Santiago Prosser was 17th at regionals in 2022 and then finished 19th at the national meet. Brody Hasty was 14th at regionals and ended up 25th at NCAAs. The pair was 15th and 14th respectively at this year's mountain regional meet. But just in case they don't replicate 2022's heroics, NAU brought in backup in All-American transfer Aaron Lasseras, so there's a little bit more room for error. And then there's a wild card in Kang Nioak, who finished fifth last weekend in what was undoubtedly the best cross-country race of his life. To beat this NAU team, it will require an all-time great team and a historic performance. Which brings me to our second point, the challenger. One year ago, Oklahoma State lost the NCAA meet on a tiebreaker in their own backyard. Rather than rolling over, Coach Dave Smith added more firepower to his squad and is back with the team that scored 19 points at regionals despite resting a couple of likely NCAA entrants. The big offseason acquisitions were Dennis Kepengedich, Brian Masao, and Adisu Guadia. They've all demonstrated talent, but the NCAA meet is unique and often requires a couple of tries to get right. With Fuad Masaudi and Alex Meyer, there are legitimately four guys on this team who could be in the top 10. If both Northern Arizona and Oklahoma State run perfect races, then the Cowboys will likely win. On the women's side, the key storyline on the team battle is the defense. It's been back-to-back titles for the NC State Wolfpack, but this next one may be their most difficult yet, thanks in part to the ascendance of number one ranked NAU. At Nuttycomb, the Lumberjack women pulled off what would have been considered an upset, though that was without NC State's Samantha Bush, who was 15th at the NCAA meet, and she wasn't in the equation in that race. So she should be back for NCAAs. NC State has shown their cards, though, never all at once. The one-two punch of Caitlin Tu and Kelsey Camille return, and they've been the stalwarts of the program's most recent success. For the Lumberjacks, Elise Stearns and Annika Reese are now the beneficiaries of three fresh transfers in Gracelyn Larkin, who was 26th in 2022, Ruby Smee, and Allie Upshaw. Do you know how good the Northern Arizona women have to be to earn the top ranking heading into NCAAs against the two-time defending champions who still have their biggest pieces back? That's bulletin board material. Number four, pick a favorite. No one in the men's race has won an individual NCAA cross-country title before. Well, that streak will end in a few days for one lucky fella. Who will it be? Stanford's Kai Robinson earned double gold during the outdoor track season, so he's not a bad name to start with. He was fourth at Nuttycomb, .1 second away from second place. He also won Pac-12s and the West Regionals. Many would pick Nico Young. Last year's second-place finisher seems like a natural heir to the throne. He's got eight All-American certificates, just none of them in gold. Not sure if they do different colors for winners, but you get what I mean. Up until Wisconsin, Harvard's Grand Blanks would have been a good dark horse pick. However, the horse is out of the bag after his run there. He didn't actually have to try very hard to win Heps, and he won regionals in trainers. Okay, they were vapor flies. So Blanks is well-rested. I'm hesitant to name anyone else because of the rule of threes and all that, but if I had to, then it's got to be New Mexico's Haptum Samuel, who just started his freshman year at New Mexico with a resume that would put others to shame. And while I'm not sure what his resume has for his high school years, he has run 2720 for 10,000 meters and placed 17th at World Cross last year for Eritrea. And it wasn't in the little baby junior race either. So pick a favorite in the men's race. Number five, is this a rivalry yet? Caitlin Tui versus Parker Valby. 
Apologies to the other women in the field, but no one except your parents is picking you to win this one. And because I just said that, you now have the necessary motivation to prove me wrong. Between her storied high school career marked by winning four NXN titles and her complete dominance last year, it sort of feels like Tui should have won nine NCAA cross-country titles by now. However, last year was her first, and this year will not be a given. Florida's Parker Valby only has one career win over Tui in cross-country, but it came this season at the Nutty Comb Invitational. A 12-second victory is substantial, but October 13th is not November 18th. Lastly, home field advantage. For the better part of two decades, the NCAA championships were not a traveling circus. Younger readers may not realize that 13 of the last 21 editions were held in Terre Haute, Indiana. For the first time since 1987, the meet returns to Charlottesville, albeit it's now on a different course than it was last contested on, but that was largely due to the work of Vin Lanana. But... The then-ranked number 10 UVA women and number 13-ranked men struggled mightily at the regional meet and both got in as the 30th team off of points. Now that they're back at home, how much can they outperform expectations? This next section is in defense of NCAA international athletes. Five years after transitioning through the ranks to become a Division I program, the Cal Baptist men's cross-country team has qualified for the NCAA national meet. The CBU women did it a year earlier and qualified again this year. Both squads did so in a less traditional way than many universities, through the recruiting of international athletes. On the surface, that's not the most novel approach. This has been going on for generations with certain universities and countries having long-standing talent pipelines. But CBU did its international recruiting in a much different way than we traditionally see. Their top seven men are from seven different countries, and they're not those already ubiquitous in the United States system like Kenya, Australia, New Zealand, or England. The seven are from Uruguay, Latvia, Lithuania, Argentina, South Africa, Colombia, and Chile. The varsity women are also from seven different countries from each other, and in total, their roster is about as diverse as the United Nations, with 22 nationalities represented. Can you imagine what a team potluck must look like? For the most part, these are not countries with powerhouse distance running histories. An 18-year-old kid being a national champion and record holder is really cool to put in an Instagram bio, but it also means the opportunities to remain at home and still become the best version of your athletic self are limited and the domino effect of those impacted could be endless. There's no telling how many young aspiring track talents will draw inspiration from their country's national champ finishing near the front of an NCAA meet. There are undoubtedly critics of programs that rely heavily on international recruiting. The main argument is that these scholarships should go towards advancing and supporting American kids, but I think it's pretty much bogus. There are 363 Division I schools with a maximum of 12.6 scholarships on the men's side and 18 on the women's. There are 304 more Division II programs in the NCAA. Obviously, not all of them are fully funded, but an American high schooler who has shown promise will have the chance to either be recruited with a scholarship offer or be able to eventually earn one as a walk-on. There's also this idea that recruiting internationally is somehow a shortcut to success, as if this modern version of college sports with NIL deals and instant transfers is the maximum of fairness. It completely dismisses how impressive it is to bring together so many young adults with completely different backgrounds into a cohesive team. And that doesn't even cover the challenges athletes face in settling into a new groove in a new country, likely away from home for the first time. 
I had two years of conversations and college visits with the assistance of my family, friends, and guidance counselors to eventually pick a school 30 miles from where I grew up. My parents would come to all my races and drop off snacks at my dorm while I was running low. Now compare that to the experience of an athlete whose first time in the United States was a week before class started and their first language is not that of their teammates. Welcome to Riverside, California. Here's your roommate assignment. Meanwhile, the Nutty Comb Invitational is in seven weeks. There's a reason the NCAA is largely considered one of the greatest developmental systems for athletes across all sports in the world. It doesn't discriminate against where the talent came from, just that it's here. It's not the case now, but 20 years ago, the All-American athletes were given their certificates following the removal of non-Americans from the descending order list. The official place of where one finished in a race did not make much concessions. There will be 41 different countries represented on the line in Charlottesville. Try to change your perception a bit when we inevitably see some international athletes running well this weekend. First off, it's all by the book. But most importantly, what a fortunate series of events that American kids don't have to travel to the other side of the world to be able to race the very best talent and meet people they otherwise never would have. That's quite an unfair advantage. Only 50 miles to glory. Let's go! Fifty miles in four hours, forty-eight minutes, and twenty-one seconds. That's how long it took to get from Midtown to the Hamptons on a summer Friday, and it's also how long it took Charlie Lawrence to break the world record at the Tunnel Hill Fifty Mile in Illinois this past weekend. For those keeping score at home, that's five forty-six pace. To help put this into perspective, imagine a relay team of fifty exceptionally talented eleven-year-olds, and it'd be a very tight race between them and Charlie Lawrence. They say you can measure the impressiveness of a record by the stature of the athlete who held it before. No one says that, but I do now, and hell, I like it. The previous mark of 4 hours, 50 minutes, and 8 seconds was set by none other than Jim Walmsley en route to his 2019 100K American record. This obviously isn't a routinely competed in event at an elite level, but Lawrence is a 216 marathoner in his own right. If he can navigate hills and trails and nature's cobblestones, then let's get his ass to France ASAP. You know there are a bunch of 215 guys chirping right now how they could probably beat this time. My advice to those guys, you probably can't, but if you're convinced, then go do it. Not every world record is reported to be the greatest human accomplishment ever achieved, like the 4x800 indoors. It's just the fastest that anyone has ever gone for a given distance, and that gets people talking. To read this week's section of the Athlete Voice, head on over to thelapcount.com. This week's Athlete Voice is that of Kendra Chambers. Chambers was an eight-time All-American at the University of Texas and now represents Wazelle professionally. She holds a personal best of two minutes for the 800 meters, and she writes about what it's like getting better together with a group of other supportive women. Here's what else you need to know from the past week. You would expect a physics professor from Harvard to know that there are faster ways to get from one side of the country to another other than running. But Jenny Hoffman did just that, setting a new women's world record in the process. Her Transamerica trip took 47 days, 12 hours, and 35 minutes. The Olympic trial saga continues. Last week, Runner's World reported that the contract between Orlando and USATF had not yet been signed. Good to see that even at the highest levels of sport, we're still relying on handshake agreements. Here's to hoping... The pen is put to paper eventually, ideally before February. And actually, as I'm recording this, there has been an update. USATF announced that the race start time has been moved to 10 a.m. USATF CEO Max Eagle's new contract did get signed. 
His extension will run until 2028, which is good because I'm not quite ready to step in yet. I do think that this will change following four more years of writing this godforsaken newsletter on my Wi-Fi less Metro North commute. Some chaos ensued at the Cross International de Italica in Seville this weekend. The course featured a poorly marked 180-degree turn just 50 meters from the finish line, which is something you wouldn't see very often for obvious reasons. Ronald Kumoy was rewarded for his good acceleration in a close finish, and Edna Jebitoic held on after mistakenly thinking it was the finish line. The Atlanta Track Club announced their roster for the 2024 season, which includes Aiden Ryan, Gabrielle Wilkinson, Rob Heppenstall, and my daughter's former babysitter, Luciano Fiore. As much as I wanted to tell The Athletic to stay out of my lane and stick to covering real sports, there was a fantastic article about the NAU programs ahead of this weekend. Also, if the New York Times wants to up their running coverage ahead of the 2024 Olympics, then Sidious Mag is also available for $550 million. That's all for this week. Thank you to New Balance for supporting this week's newsletter. I'm a diehard repeat user of the 1080s and also a sucker for all white shoes. This has been Chris Chavez reading Kyle Merber's The Lap Count newsletter. Get it in your inbox every Wednesday morning at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time and subscribe at thelapcount.com.